uh, as I started to prepare to teach it for the first time, telepathy and animal communication, I said, uh, you know, um, I think, I think maybe if we get enough students, we could we could do some sort of scientific research around this. Maybe we could even sort of prove the existence of telepathy, uh, which is a, is an interesting idea. It turns out it was proven 75 years ago, and there's more than 10,000 papers supporting telepathy and remote viewing. And I just had never done the reading. My Reset and Recondition 14-day New Year program is available now for 2024 and for only £29. You heard me right, it wasn't an error. For just £29, you will receive to your inbox every day for the first 14 days of January one thing to reset and recondition each of your mind, body, spirit, and beyond, to include a recipe, a journal prompt, an affirmation, a chakra balancing exercise, and most excitingly as an upgrade from last year's R&R, one short, concise manifestation lesson and exercise each day that will lead you to absolutely knowing how to call in your manifestation for the year ahead by the end of the 14 days. And all you need to do is commit 15 minutes a day for the first 14 days of the year. And you can even join our Facebook group to do it alongside me and other women going through the Reset and Recondition program. Just head to laurenvacneen.co.uk forward slash reset or head to the show notes to get the link and sign up now for just £29 and be ready in time for the new year. Welcome back to Reconditioned, everyone, with me, Lauren Vaknin, and this episode I um, have recorded with Derek Loudermilk, who I met through um, my shamanic apprenticeship with um, our shaman that we both work with, and um, we talk about some really deep stuff, so I thought it would be great to get him on the podcast um, to just go a bit deeper into the metaphysical. Uh, he had me on his podcast as well, and it was super fun, and the metaphysical side of things um, from Derek's perspective is him um, really connecting the science and the spirituality and actually showing there is no difference. Actually, it's all you can call it all spirituality or you can call it all science. And, and Derek actually just calls it all science. And we talk about kind of the science behind time, the illusion of time, the science behind luck, the science behind adventure, the science behind anything, <clears throat> and actually how that relates from a metaphysical metaphysical perspective like how we can bend time how we can create our own luck incredible conversations so i know you guys are really going to enjoy this episode um and and derek and i derek actually invited me to contribute a chapter to the activate your life series of books he, he he's done a series of books called activate your life and the um most recent one is out this week and I am a contributor I've written a chapter for that book so I'm going to put the details in the show notes but just go to um, Amazon uh, if you like and type in activate your life and you will see it there and feel free to buy a copy and um, not just support us but activate your life it's basically a book of contributions from different coaches spiritual teachers etc 
of different methods to help you truly activate your life and enhance your life and grow in different ways. So it's great for practitioners, coaches, etc., to um, enhance their own knowledge. And it's also just great for, you know, the everyday person wanting to grow more. So I am super excited about it and I hope you will be too. So go ahead and purchase a copy and really just enjoy this episode because it, it it's deep and it's also just really a chat between friends that goes in areas that I didn't know it was going to go in. I was just kind of here to ask him questions that I've always wanted to ask him and to expand on. And it's super interesting. This is kind of one of those episodes you, you sit back with a cup of tea and listen to, or maybe out on a walk out in nature. So enjoy this episode with me and Derek Loudermilk. If you've been here a while, you'll know that I believe that we should get whatever we can in the way of nutrition through food. And where we can't get it through food, that's where we supplement. Now, in order to get myself from disabled to completely able-bodied, I had to be really specific and well-researched when it came to supplements, which is why I've been using Amrita Nutrition for the past decade, more than decade actually, to buy pretty much 95% of the supplements I take and recommend. Now, Amrita stock the highest quality brands using the highest quality non-synthetic ingredients. Most of these brands couldn't even be bought in the UK when I started taking them years ago, so Amrita have made it super easy and accessible. And the other great thing about Amrita is they offer personal support. So if you're not sure of which supplement to order, you can call them and they'll advise you. Now, they're usually a practitioner-only stockist, but you can buy supplements from Amrita now using practitioner invite code Lauren, which will get you 10% off all supplements. And once you set up an account, that 10% will be applied to every order. I've gone ahead and created a collection of all my favorite supplements with Amrita to help you out with it, which you can find in the show notes or on my website by typing in Amrita. Otherwise, just visit amritanutrition.co.uk and use code Lauren for 10% off. Thank you so much to Amrita for continuing to support our mission here at Reconditioned. Derek Loudermilk is a former pro cyclist and extreme microbiologist turned professional adventurer, author, and lifestyle entrepreneur. He traveled the world for seven years as a digital nomad with his family, living in 15 different countries during that time. He recently completed a quest to learn 100 different healing, metaphysical, and esoteric practices from around the world. His podcast, The Derek Loudermilk Show, which celebrates its 10th anniversary in 2023, brings people to a high-level understanding of cutting-edge topics in science, spirituality, adventure, and human potential. And if all that wasn't enough, he's also a four-time best-selling author of Superconductors, Revolutionize Your Career and Make Big Things Happen, as well as the Activate Your Life series, of which I am a contributor for the next book. So Derek, welcome. Lauren, good to be with you. So good to have you here. Um, let's start with what have you done so far today to support your wellness? Yeah, I went outside with my kids at sunrise and we stood on the on the grass in bare feet. But it's getting, it was just above freezing. And so it was 
at some point, I don't know if we'll be doing the barefoot grounding at sunrise, but that's become a, so we all drink our water. We all go out, stand barefoot and sort of get some light in our eyes at the beginning of the day. Um, and the kids are, are on board with that, but it's also a nice opportunity to just catch the mood of the environment, the, the birds and the squirrels and like the humans, what they're doing. I live in the city, but next to a park. So we kind of have this dual ecosystem here. Um, and it's nice just to kind of tune in with that in the morning. I would say that that's like one of the healthiest things you could do to start your day. Connecting with the earth, grounding, grounding on the electromagnetic frequency of mother earth, looking at the, 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 the early morning light, getting that vitamin D beautiful. It's nice. It's nice. And then we, you know, go back to the craziness of give me my breakfast and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Standard. But you know what I would say, even if they go inside and behave in the same way that they always do something, you've done something. Yep. And you're in Missouri, right? St. Louis, Missouri. Yep. Yeah. Wow. So I didn't realize that it would get that cold there. I mean, shows how much I know about Missouri, but. <laughs> because we're, you know, it's a big continent. The center just gets cold. Um, mm. It's not, we don't have any water effects really. So even all the way down to the South, you can get freezing temperatures in, you know, November to March. Mm. Yeah. yeah. It was like here this morning. It was really, it was the first day. It's November for anyone listening. Um, it's the first, it was the first day that it felt really super cold. Like when it hurts to breathe, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I, I did used to live in Montana and that's the coldest I've experienced was negative 45 degrees. And wow. there's, uh, when you, when you go out and you, you breathe in through your nose and it immediately freezes everything in your nose and sinuses it. And it's just, it kind of like crinkles kind of shrink oh. crinkles. And it's just, it's almost hilarious because it's so ridiculously cold. And I never really minded the cold there because it's sunny all the time. And here mm -hmm. in St. Louis, you get cloudy and cold all winter and it's it's a bit different. So people try to escape. More. Yeah, I'm exactly the same. So we have a lot of gray skies in London, as I'm sure you know. Um, but I, today was this most amazing, bright, cold autumnal day. And I went for a really long walk in the woods and it was just magnificent. And that's my favorite kind of, I mean, I, I'm a summer. I, I love the summer, but you know, if, if it's going to be cold, as long as it's sunny, I'm, I'm cool with that. It's yeah. Great, so you have woods. Great skies. Yeah. We've got woods. woods. We live kind of right opposite the woods. So mm. it was one of our, when we, was the, when we bought this house, we were like, yep, it's right opposite the woods. Nice. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so just to kind of give everyone a bit of a background, you and I know each other because we work with the same shaman. And so we, um, we connected through that and, uh, that's some wild ride that we're on. <laughs> um, and maybe we'll, we'll, we'll delve into a little bit of that as much as we're allowed to. Um, but to start what you do is so interesting and so broad and, um, I would love us to just start with you explaining in your own words what you do and what you're passionate about. Yeah, and I've done a lot of different things. Um, obviously, you mentioned some <clears throat> in my bio, but the recurring theme that runs through everything is adventure and, and freedom, um, really, and expressed in different ways, exploring um, the, the world through science or through living abroad or lately consciousness. 
Um, and so, you know, what I, what I do for a living is I try to find ways to get the things that I'm interested in and teach them in a useful way to other people, whether it's teaching business or telepathy uh, and remote viewing or, you know, who knows what the next program is going to be. But um, I do kind of learning out loud where I'll, where I'll go and I'll learn, you know, and this kind of started with the podcast. It's 10 years old now. One of my first businesses was I was podcasting. A lot of people wanted to start podcasts. So I taught, I think we launched 64 podcasts in a year in 20, wow. uh, 2015 in Bali. Um, and we would just have these like hangout sessions at in my living room in my villa in Bali. And just like every month we'd launch a new round of new people starting their podcasts. And um, obviously podcasters often are, have other businesses. And so then it was like, well, can, can you help me with, I want to put on a retreat or I'm doing coaching and I want... And so I would test them out, you know, a lot of podcasters want to write a book. So I was like, hmm, maybe I should write a book. So I learned the publishing process. So a lot of times I'll go through something, try to find a good system to teach it and then turn around and teach it. Mm -hmm. So were you always really entrepreneurial? Um, the four hour work week got me both interested in the digital nomad concept and I read it when it came out in 07, 07, and thought about it until 2013 when I moved abroad. Um, and the first place we went was Vietnam. Um, and so while I was in grad school, I was starting to learn about, I started my first uh, couple of businesses in grad school. And I was in grad school for um, microbiology. I was studying the beginnings of life in Yellowstone National Park. That's why I put extreme microbiology because I was studying the boiling acid hot springs there in Yellowstone. And um, yeah, but I was really interested in both sociology, like studying how business is done on a, on an interpersonal level and also just how innovators, you know, find a market niche to serve and come up with solutions. So I actually, while I was getting my degree, I was sitting in on all the classes in the business school. So what are you working on now and what kind of is your focus business-wise and what you teach at the moment? Yeah, the um, so the, the book that you and I are co-authoring together with others is the next thing that's launching. And then our telepathy, remote viewing, animal communication program will be next after that, um, which will be the third or fourth time we've run it. And um, this was a podcast guest of friend of mine and a co-author in, in a previous one of those Activate books. And um, she, she was on my show and she said, she's an animal communicator from Denmark. And she was like, I can teach you telepathy in five minutes. So I was like, fine, prove it. And so we actually, after the interview, we hopped on her Instagram live and she brought um, three uh, pictures of horses and um, on, you know, on her desk beside her was their medical history. So these were horses that she had worked with before. She's like, I have the medical history here and I'm going to quiz you on this medical history. I want you to connect with the horse and tell me what it feels, you know, what's going on with the body, what's going on with its personality. And then I have this and we can reveal how accurate you were. And 
I was like 90% accurate on my first try. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're a genius. Uh, do you want to teach this with me? And she's like, yeah. And one of the crazy things was, uh, as I started to prepare to teach it for the first time, telepathy and animal communication, I said, uh, you know, um, I think, I think maybe if we get enough students, we could we could do some sort of scientific research around this. Maybe we could even sort of prove the existence of telepathy, uh, which is a, is an interesting idea. It turns out it was proven seventy five years ago, and there's more than ten thousand papers supporting telepathy and remote viewing. And I just had never done the reading. Um, so it's quite well established scientifically and a lot of interesting uh, studies that, um, that show different aspects of telepathy and non-local consciousness. So I'm still looking for exactly like where we can add to the scientific knowledge, because that would be fun to come up with a good experiment we have all these students now. We've had um, she's had over 450 uh, total students that she's taught telepathy to. So we have this great pool of uh, qualified uh, subjects, I suppose. So, okay. So I'm trying to figure out where we go with this. I want let's go back because adventure, like you said, is a massive. And I want to get onto kind of the time bending and all the amazing stuff I know you mm. teach because I really want to go into that. Um, but adventure is kind of the theme that um, outlined a lot of your life. For me, adventure is such a, um, like an exciting thing to talk about. Growing up with arthritis and being disabled for much of my life, I mm. didn't have any access to adventure. You, you know, I became wheelchair bound when I was 18. So when all my friends were going to university and going traveling, that was when I was at the peak of the illness. So I felt like I never got to do adventure, you know, and uh -oh. I'm starting to get to that now. Um, but having kind of gone straight from like going into a state of wellness to having kids, it, it took out a big chunk of like the time that I should have started doing all of that. So I'm so fascinated <laughs> by things that I haven't yet done. And I think anything's possible. Like I'm, you know, living my life and building this life towards things that I want to do. But I am fascinated by people who have lived a life of adventure. So I'd love to hear from you about like where you went with that, what adventure was for you? Because I know that it ties in very much with kind of all your metaphysical studies and where we're going to take this chat next. Yeah, adventure uh, to me for a long time was was both on the physical sports uh, exploration side and also the travel side and then combining them, you know, doing like we we set a world record for volcano climbing in Bali. We just um, there's three three summits, three peaks in consecutive order, and there's a race to climb all three of them in a day. And um, that was I one of my early magical metaphysical experiences occurred during our record attempt or, or successful. You know, we set the record. Um, so so growing up, uh, I was in the Boy Scouts and. I always say like I was never rebellious as a kid towards my parents because I was already jumping off cliffs and building huge bonfires and building catapults and just all the crazy stuff that you could get into as a teenager in the woods, um, sleeping out in an igloo uh, as a as a kid 
you know, we, we did trips all over the country where we would go hike a hundred miles in, in a couple of weeks. Um, and you know, there was, there was a time when we were hiking, um, in New Mexico and, uh, this story just popped into my head, but we, we stumbled across this old Indian woman who was like rebuilding her cabin and we stopped for the day and just like built her cabin for her. And she gave us all little like magical objects. Um, and we got to learn, you know, like, how do you like lift a huge log to make a wall of a log cabin? Um, and, and so that's, you know, that's one of the beautiful things of adventure of travel is that you, you can really just create circumstances to have new experiences. You have to just kind of like pick yourself up and place yourself in a new country, new experience, new way of thinking, whatever it is. And then, um, you're off to the races. Mm. So what was the most profound adventure experience for you? (laughs) Um, I'm not sure why, but the, uh, I had a girlfriend in college and, um, I had just come back from studying abroad in Australia. I studied on the great barrier reef. Can't do that in the, in the center of, of the continent, so I had to go uh, to to the location, and that was part of the reason you know, I wanted to be a biologist was to actually get in the field and all that. But um, when I came back, my girlfriend she was supposed to we were supposed to live together for the first time, and she was she had already moved into this house, and but she she was like I I just can't do it. She was a she was a wilderness guide at a at a camp, and she's like I have to go do it one more year. So she left the day before I came back and I was like, no, what do we, you know, here I am expecting to move in with my girlfriend and she leaves for the summer and I don't have a car. And I end up hitchhiking across three States basically to go visit her. And it was, I still hitchhike to this day because now I know like how amazing it can be, but everyone was like, are you crazy? Like no one hitchhikes anymore. What do you, you know, you'll probably get killed, et cetera. And it was like, I know, but I have to go see my girlfriend and, and I, there's no bus that goes there. So I have to hitchhike. Like that's, that's the option. I'm sure there was other options. Like I could have rented a car or something probably. No, I wasn't old enough to rent a car. That's why. Um, so yeah, just, you know, you you find a, find a solution to your problem and then you give it a whirl and people show up to support you. The universe shows up to support you. So when, when did kind of your spiritual, your journey with spirituality happen? Was it always there or did it happen within that? Cause I think it happened for you kind of within that journey of adventure, right? Like right, where exactly. did the two intertwine? Yeah. And I was trained as a materialist in the sciences. We, um, you know, the probably still the prevailing, the older generation of scientists thinks reality is created in the brain. Um, and that we just, you know, are kind of these biological robots and and we create the reality we perceive. Um, and so that was my presumption. And so that kind of like throws out a lot of, of spirituality. Um, but I was experiencing a lot of magical things on my travels, surreal, non-ordinary reality, just things that blew my mind over and over again. And I was like, the the first place I went, honestly, was 
what's the scientific underpinning of how this is happening? Like how, how am I able to use telepathy with a tree? That was one of my early experiences or how exactly did the, uh, the Balinese shamans turn on the rain? How did they, how did they successfully like make it rainy season instantly? Um, and, and just, you know, a lot, a lot more experiences. And then, so I was like, wow, if this is happening, then there must be a fundamental mechanism that allows it to work. So what is it? And of course there is like, nothing can happen. I mean, if it happens, then there's a way for it to happen. Right. Mm -hmm. So uh when i say we learn right that they're like people think it's either or people think it's science or it's spirituality and actually it's also intertwined yeah a lot of the um a lot of like the higher dimensional entities that would say like there is no spirituality at at higher levels like it's all just science um because that's just the way that the universe works you know I feel like I interrupted you there and you lost your train of thought. <laughs> um, I just want to, I just want to make sure I uh, stop my train every now and then. So you have time. To, oh, no, no, uh... no. I like your train. I like, I like it. Do you think that that was guided by Don Javier? Because everyone I speak to that's on the shamanic apprenticeship that we're on has the, has had these kind of metaphysical experiences you know throughout their lives and they're like wow that was a magical thing that I don't feel like is happening to other people where did that come from and um like for me I think it was I I grew up with spirituality my my mum was you know a spiritualist and my grandparents so it wasn't so it never felt so um I guess out there to me I wasn't trying to explain it because it was already I guess normal for me um but there were still these things that happened and I I now think that that was guided by perhaps like like dx guiding us towards where we were meant to be to find that i do believe that he has the the power to be able to orchestrate events like that Mm. um and you know because i've seen miracles happen um but i think i think this was actually just my own higher self orchestrating the events unfolding um, I, he probably was aware that that I would eventually connect with him, mm-hmm. um, but I I think that was probably my own agreements that I had set up for my life trajectory. Mm, yeah, that too, that too. I just have some situation. I have situations like that, but I have situations where I'm very aware that it was kind of orchestrated by him. There have been a lot of things that have been orchestrated by him, and and I don't go into kind of too much detail of that on the podcast or generally in public, you know, um, there are some, and I'm sure you're the same with, with your work with him. Um, cause people ask me a lot of questions and I'm very public with pretty much everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one thing that I don't go into too much detail. I've never been into too much detail on, um, but I do like to touch on it because I think it's really interesting and I get a lot of questions about it. And, um, I think it's interesting to touch on kind of like, how did it happen? Because a lot of people come to these, you know, what I guess people want to call spiritual awakening. And and it does almost feel like orchestrated. It does feel like it's happening because something is bringing it all into place at a specific time for a specific reason, which I find really fascinating. But I want to go into 
the metaphysical stuff you do because it's really deep and we're not we're not getting into it um let's talk about kind of the work you've done within you know metaphysics and and I just it's so broad but I want to kind of just hand over to you and let you open that up well I just you mentioned I just finished this quest which I didn't really know it was a quest until halfway through and it was actually I was um I was trying to think of like a fun little hook for uh, telling telling people about what I was up to, and I was like, I've I've experimented with X number of different techniques, and this was me visiting priests and shamans and holy men around the world, traveling or going to sacred sites, and then once I started digging into the science, I was like seeking out practitioners of different types, you know, crystal healers or Reiki practitioners or breathwork people, you know, people that had sort of innovated their own techniques. And now I have this wonderful book series of people who are, you know, teaching and and guiding various uh, healing, coaching practices, which is wonderful. It's like, puts me in contact with, with all different concepts and ideas in metaphysics. Um, so, once I had about halfway there, about 50, and I was like, well, this should be a quest. I should do a hundred. I should really explore everything from, from dreams to, you know, trauma release, whatnot to astral travel and just really understand, understand like what we are capable of as humans here on earth. And in, in that exploration, you know, that's, that's why I got in touch with, uh the shot in the first place um because he you know at that point it was like why not it's part of my quest um and there are some of those aspects like the dream work like breath work and various meditation techniques that have become part of my schedule my regular routine and other things where i just tried it one or a few times and i was like that's really interesting and that and it, that's all it was. Mm. Um, and some stuff I found to be really effective, um, <clears throat> like the emotion code, for example, was was astounding to, to see it work. And others, um, like the first time I had crystal therapy, it was, it was um, interesting and kind of buzzy, but didn't change my life really, like I hoped it, it would, um, but it is very subtle. So... Actually, yeah, I might as well just uh, share the emotion code story. We um, last year, about this time, we were traveling to California to stay with my sister-in-law, and they have two big dogs. And my son had this terrible fear of dogs, like ten out of ten, and he couldn't be within a hundred feet of a dog without uh, just a panic attack, basically. And I posted something like, "Hey, um, who can help with with this? We'd like." Uh, we'd like to figure out a way forward. And my friend Gina, she said, well, I think emotion code can help you with that. And in one session remotely, she was in Hawaii, we're in St. Louis. In one session, she discovered 34, 37 different charges that had built up between my son and his relationship with dogs. So a wall a charged wall um, around his heart in between him and dogs. And she was able to clear <clears throat> all of them 
Um, and his fear of dogs immediately went from a 10 out of 10 to a, a one, like wow. totally neutral. And, uh, and it was just crazy because the next time a dog just walked past him, he didn't even really notice it. <laughs> and, and it just, just blew me away how effective that it could be. And also remotely, right. It doesn't, it, it was a nice confirmation for me. Like this stuff works independent of space and time largely. So what was actually involved in the session? Well, there's a process in the emotion code, which I believe involves muscle testing to figure out what the charge is about and where it came from. And then uh, you can actually use magnets to decharge the store emotion because magnets are connected to emotions. And um, if you're in person, you can you can run a magnet down someone's spine. But if you're remote, I think you have to do it on a representation of the person. I'm not sure. Um, I actually didn't really study the practice of it super in depth. <laughs> um, but the interesting thing was that only four of those 34 charges were from his experience personally in this lifetime. The rest of the charges came from me, my wife, our genetic epigenetic lineage, his past lifetimes, uh, other people that he's encountered in his life. He, so he's picking up charges from all different kinds of mm -hmm. places um, that weren't even really his um, and were affecting this for him. Wow. I'm, I'm, my, my mind is going around now thinking of how this can work for my son with his uh, eating, his sensory food issues. So yeah, you can do it out. for any fear, any, any like, um, yeah, you can also test, like, is there something available right now that I don't even know what it is that I could decharge and you could, I theoretically do the whole process without knowing what you were releasing. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's profound. And um, let's talk about time bending. Um, I've heard you talk about kind of the scientific side of the metaphysics i guess um and you do go really deep and it's so interesting so i'd love you to talk about time bending from that perspective yeah time is such an interesting one because personally i've had the experience of wanting more time to get things done um and we we know even from 3d physics that time is is a construct it's a for for earth humans we have this linear experience of time that demarcates one sort of memory unit or one experience unit after the other so it's an effective tool for us to learn and grow and that's kind of why it's in place um but from a higher perspective, it's all simultaneous, right? When you think of that book, The Power of Now, he's referring to, you can only ever experience the present and therefore time isn't uh, isn't a time stream. It's, a, it's sort of a universal now that includes everything. <clears throat> um, what do I wanna say here? So let's talk a bit about the um, your soul or your spirit right? This inf uh, infinite um, 
immortal aspect of yourself that has all the experiences of all of your lifetimes put together, right? The, the, the seed of when you individuated from God or from the universe, and you have this, this soul that collects its own experiences from, from lifetimes. And, and the soul is growing and learning. And that's partly why the universe differentiates itself is to experience itself in these infinite ways. Um, And so you have a soul, which when you go into a body, now you have a body and then the soul and the body come together and they form this unit. And then you have the body's experience of time as a physical thing with senses that can move through a world, but you also have the soul which has its own experience of time and simultaneousness and a different type of growth and learning. And then when you put them together, you have kind of parallel coexisting experiences of time in a body. So you have both linear body time and infinite simultaneous soul time that you, that anyone can access. And when you bend time, it's really about, the perspective of which you are perceiving time and you can do it either one. So you could, um, as a normal person, wake up, eat the breakfast, go to work, work out, get tired, go to bed, etc. It's a very linear, um, you know, body experience. But if you are, um, putting your attention internally, then you're more in control of the flow of time in a way. And there's uh, the feeling that often enables people to have more control over time is, is first when you want, when people want more time, they want different types of time. Sometimes they want to uh, get everything completed on time. Like you got all the stuff, all the work done you wanted to by the end of the day. So you could spend time with your family. That's sort of one thing that people often want. And then there's the feeling of being in the right place at the right time where good things just happen to you and it flows seamlessly and you're lucky. That's a different type of timing. And then there's um, just being on time. Like I, I have these appointments throughout my day and I want to just make sure I arrive and I'm polite and I'm, you know, make my meetings and pick up my kids when I need to. So there's different types of time that time experiences that people want. Um, And so really discovering what the experience of time you want and then focusing on living that experience and ignoring uh, clock time in a way. So really something that people can do to try this at home, because it's actually quite simple to do if you can maintain your focus away from the construct of time. Um, so most people are so bad. They're checking their watches and phones and stuff so regularly to make sure they're on schedule, especially a busy entrepreneur that has multiple meetings in a day. Um, and they're really bound by that, um, the constraints of how uh, we've all agreed that time is going to flow 24 hours, hour by hour kind of thing. Um so if you turn your attention away from that and just ignore that completely, but instead you focus on being perfectly on time for all of your meetings, then 
time will expand or contract to give you what you need. So the first time I tried this, I wanted to do a long workout, like a two hour workout. And I had one hour before dinner. I had to be home for dinner and I wanted to do a long workout and I still had to drive to the gym or travel there and back and shower and, and, and be ready for dinner. And I was like, well, let's pay it. So I totally ignored the clock, did everything I wanted to do, a long warm up, stretching afterwards, et cetera. Um, and I got home and it was like five minutes until dinner. I had time to set the table and we all joined dinner at the same time, family dinner. And I was like, whoa, that was so seamless. And and I was tempted. There was one moment when I was like, I should look at the clock. And I was like, nope, because that's going to pull me back into this other experience. And so that's the hardest part is ignoring that urge to put yourself back into the collective time flow. So so essentially, you're you're removing yourself from the agreed upon time stream and just allowing time to expand or contract for you as as it needs to. Fun fact, humans take in more information in one day now than they did in their entire lives in the 1700s. No wonder we're overwhelmed. Our brains and bodies simply haven't evolved to manage this level of stress. And until that evolution happens, if we want to be well in mind and body, we need things that help alleviate this stress. For me, one of the key tools in my daily wellness toolkit that does this is the Sensate. And if you've been here a while, you'll know how genuinely obsessed I am with this product. It is a piece of health tech that fits in the palm of your hand, and it basically sends infrasonic waves through the chest to activate the vagus nerve and calm the autonomic nervous system while you listen to the specially composed audio within the app. I usually use the Sensate for 10 to 20 minutes before I sleep, to reduce cortisol levels, calm my brainwave states from the hectic day, and send me into a deep sleep. Clients of friends of mine who have a sensate have told me that their sleep has never been so good. People who usually struggle with sleep just wake up in the same position they went to sleep in. Everyone needs a sensate, in my opinion, and I particularly recommend it to anyone who suffers from overwhelm or anxiety, and anyone who wants to deepen their meditation practice. And you can get £30 off the Sensate by visiting getsensate.com and using code Lauren30. That's G-E-T-S-E-N-S-A-T-E dot com, Lauren30. Thank you so much to Sensate for supporting our mission here at Reconditioned. For people who are listening to this, thinking about that from kind of the, the standard like human linear approach and they're thinking, well, if I just work out or do what I want for however long I'm going to be late you can't get around that there is it's really hard to explain but it's kind of it's more about the belief that you have like if you're thinking well I'm going to be late because I just don't have this time but screw it I won't look at the clock and see what happens it's going to have a different outcome to if you actually have the belief that you have the ability to to bend time is would you say that's right or, or is that, yeah. I mean, I know there's more to it, but I'm trying to get into kind of the questions that I know people listening might have when they're thinking, but, you know, let's take single mums, for example. I know they have a lot of um, listeners that are single mums looking after their kids working and they feel very short of time. How would this work for them? And then also, can, they, can you then go back into the being in the right time at the right place 
thing because that's super interesting. Mm. Yeah, and um, so the reason we have uh, so many things that we experience in the world physically are because we have this collective agreement. Like you and I and everyone are creating the physical world by agreement in real time. So I like to think of it like a video game that when you you know your character is walking and it turns the corner. Uh, the thing that's around the corner like is created by the program in that moment and it's the same for our physical reality like my door is closed and there's nothing behind it right now until i open the door and walk into the thing that's behind it but i've walked through the door so many times that i i have already a structure of what will be there when i walk through and physics has essentially confirmed this through the double slit experiment through um Last, last year's Nobel Prize winning um, uh, award in physics that the universe is not locally real um, basically shows how physicality is arising from consciousness. It's basically a byproduct of consciousness. So consciousness is fundamental. Belief is fundamental. And then the physical world is, arises from that. I, a great book I read about that that kind of gave me a bit of an understanding was Biocentrism um have you ever read that one i'm not familiar no robert robert lanza great book that really kind of helped me understand the um like consciousness perception and what can arise as a result of perception that really changed stuff for me i also very much have the experience of and i speak to clients about it a lot though i have less of a scientific understanding than you do um much less of kind of the, the actual metaphysical process of it but Time expands when we do. I've experienced that because I can add more to my day. And I don't this, I want to kind of preface the fact that I don't mean this in a, just keep adding things to your schedule. It doesn't matter how busy you are. It's not like a go against your, you know, instincts and um, mess up your nervous system by adding loads to your time that you, you can't do. But it's more of a, I can, I didn't think I had time to open a business, right? I was already doing the podcast and was already kind of basically like coaching people and writing blogs and I was like, I don't have to, time to actually be a coach like officially and somehow I made time for that and had another kid and mm. like I don't know like everything time when I feel like I could so at the moment my husband and I literally this week are in <laughs> in this debate about I am desperate to get a dog because our last dog past a few years ago and I am such a dog person and I don't like the house without a dog right I'm so ready you know the kids were really little so it was you know we had to wait till a certain time and I'm at that point where I know right now is the time for a dog have I got heaps of quote-unquote time no I run a very busy business which has multiple layers to it the podcast the writing the clients the courses I have two kids I do most of the school runs on my own to a school that you know is quite far from us technically I don't have time but I said to my husband I know that I feel that now's the right time and I will be able to manage it regardless and he's like no 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 we just can't there's not enough time as it is we we can't you know we're struggling to fit everything in and I'm like my perception of that is different I don't feel like I'm struggling to fit everything in but his perception is that we are 
So it's really interesting because he's like, no, we, we're not getting a dog. And we're literally in a debate because I found a dog that I want. I'm like, please let me confirm. And <laughs> he's like, no. He's like, no, just no, we're not. So right now we're literally in this debate about it because I feel like I am at that point. And you know, and I think your your higher self tells you when the time is right because we were in this situation about just over a year ago and we nearly got a dog and, and I was the one that pulled out and I was like, I can't, can't do it right now. I don't think in that state I was in a position to expand myself and therefore expand time from that place. But now I know I can, therefore I can, right? The biology of belief. Yeah, and I noticed there's two distinct ways that you and your husband are approaching this, right? He's got a list of reasons uh, that he's thought through and you just know. Um, which is always the, the masculine feminine right and that that's kind of and 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 he feels he has to balance that because although I, I mean I do I do think I have a good balance of that generally like in business and stuff I'm not always just off on the the feminine flow like I have a ba- balance of it but I guess in our relationship he feels like he has to balance that because he feels he won't cope if we get a dog and it's too much but I said to him look at the people who do have two, three, four kids and they have a dog and they work. And the people that I look at that, you know, quote unquote cope with all of that are the people whose perceptions are different to ours. So the people who will say, oh yeah, it's great. We love it. Yeah, it's a bit of chaos, but it's all fun and games. And I know people who literally talk like that. Mm -hmm. And because they talk like that, they make that their reality. And this is a lot of what I do in my work. And I speak to clients about identity you know, your identity is everything. You you operate from the identity of the sick person, you're going to be the sick person. You operate from the identity of the broke person, you're creating that reality. You operate from the identity of the wealthy person or the person who has heaps of time and can manage stuff and copes, you will. But when you're constantly saying out loud, we're the kind of people who can't cope, we're the kind of people who just don't have time, we're the kind of people who are so busy, you make that a reality. So right now, yeah, I'm working on him. <laughs> well, I think... Uh you can be fully in your masculine as a man and listen to the guidance that you're getting. That would be Um, the divine masculine. Yeah. Because um, people that are really busy are doing things by force. They're, they, they think, Oh, I got to do this in my business or I got to set things up properly. I have to have this schedule so that I can achieve everything. But if you're waiting and listening and like your example of, ah, I know it's not the right time to get a dog. If you only do things precisely at the right moment to do them, then you save so much time fighting uphill, doing things when you you could have just waited for the perfect time. So perfect timing or lucky timing uh, involves tuning into your perception, like what is your higher self telling you and how does it feel in your body if you're facing a decision like getting a dog or starting a business or moving or anything. uh, If you can listen well enough, you'll know when the time is and then you can act quickly and it will just be seamless. I have so many experiences like that. I actually did an episode about this exactly with Jen Finley, who you know as Mm. well. And, you know, cause she's, she teaches a lot about intuition and I always give the example of when we were looking for a new house and we found this house that on paper was perfect. It was better than perfect. It was more than we thought we could get. 
it was huge. It had this massive big garden that overlooked the fields and and Daniel was like, we're going to put an offer in on this house. And he was calling the agent and I went, put the phone down. This isn't our house. And he was like, what do you mean? I was like, I don't know. I can't tell you really what I mean. And I don't know why. I'm just telling you this isn't our house. And I really liked this house. I was walking around going, oh, this is a great writing space. And oh my goodness, <laughs> three three floors. And this bedroom is amazing. And look at this garden. And it wasn't our house. And he he trusted me because he knows how much I trust my intuition. And and it was the right move. And we found our house and, and you know, whatever, a different story. But <laughs> I guess in the dog thing, he's not trusting me. But a question I want to ask you here is what would be your tips for people who are saying how can I trust my intuition more like how can I know when my intuition is telling me something is right or isn't right yeah um one of the one of the ways is to um the, one of the ways we do it in our in our class for example is to train train it um in a way so that you trust it so do it with things you know to be true and then test test yourself uh, we play this game with my kids where we like put something in the cupboard and we ask them what's in the cupboard and they remote view into the cupboard and see how close they are to the object. And a lot of times they don't get the object exactly right, but they might get, if I put a stuffed bear in there, they might be like, uh, it's kind of fuzzy or maybe it's an animal or I think it's one of my toys or something like that. They'll get parts of the information. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's one way is to just, um, you know, scientifically back yourself up when we, when we teach people how to muscle test or train with the pendulum, um, right. It's like an algorithm. It's like a AI algorithm. You train it. Um, so you give it a hundred yes, no answers where, you know, the answer already, then you realize, okay, it's doing the same thing every time with a yes, same thing every time with a no, then you can feel confident to ask an unknown yes, no question. Um, so there's different training methods where you just prove to yourself that the information you're getting, either the feeling inside or the perception in your, uh, you know, your sense, uh, whether that's like clairvoyance or clairaudience or however you receive information. Um, so you just start to trust it. And that's something that when people go through our class or almost any um, extra sensory perception training is that they start to trust themselves way more. Um, but at first it's kind of weird because you could, you could say like, um, when is the right time for us to do this podcast? And we might set a time and that's good for my schedule. That's good for your schedule, whatever. And then just how it happened, uh, we're doing it today instead of the original scheduled date, because, that wasn't the time to do it anyway. So perhaps we could have just tuned in. Like, when are we going to do this podcast? Oh, 11, 11. Perfect. Uh, and here, oh and here God, we go. It's 11, just... 11, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so you can, you know, I never thought of that. That's crazy. It's all the ones, which yeah. 11, 11. And someone just told me like, if you add up all the numbers, 11, 11, 11, uh, 2023, 20, that all adds up to 11, one, 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 two zero two three and so it's i'm not that trained in numerology but it's significant that the whole date is 11 as well 
so significant because the the whole numerology thing only came to me I never got the the angel numbers thing I never understood it I never believed in it I was like it's numbers like it's a human thing it's not you know until I started working with DX so it's interesting that the episode that you and I are doing is all about that and and what came to me then was the 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 ones and the twos and and when I see ones together it means something for me and when I see twos together it means something for me like 22 or when I see 11 they mean different things for me and that only clicked for me when I started working with DX it's really interesting that this is happening with the episode that you and I are doing so I didn't even I didn't even clock that it was that so thank you for for bringing that up (laughs) The next thing I want to talk to you about is something that I'm super interested in. And I know you're really passionate about the moment, which is being a creator and what that means. Like, take me through your passion with that and what being a creator and how we can be creators and how we can be the best possible creators and what that actually means um, for our growth. Yeah, um, I maybe maybe it's the way that you you phrase it. Like I don't often put that identity on myself. Like I'm a I'm a creator, but it's something that I've um, in my interest around the legal system and money and the magic words uh, that these systems use. I actually got there. It's so interesting. I I got to um, studying law recently over the last couple of years through first I wanted to study how sound impacts the material world. And then I was like, maybe I should research magic words, uh, the history of actual magic words. And I realized uh, through that study that the legal system is built on magic words. And then I was like, wait a second. And so I started digging into how the legal and monetary system is built to be a multi-dimensional control mechanism to basically channel um, life force in in from one person, one creator into another without their awareness of it, essentially. And um, as as I got through the layers, I realized like so basically money, even even if you if you study like modern money mechanics, like there's a federal reserve, uh, brief that tells how money works and it's basically money the money supply expands when a living person uh takes out a loan or a mortgage or anything like the, we are creating money and abundance out of thin air like when we say it's time and that's really been a spiritual journey for me to realize like oh shit i can just make money whenever i need it uh and it and it it creates money for everyone, and it, it's just been teaching me through this experience about, yeah, how because money is such a such a interesting part of our Earth human experience. Like it didn't have to exactly work the way that it did. I'm sure there's other planets, other extraterrestrial civilizations that either don't use money at all or use money totally differently. Um, but we've had this same system for thousands of years, essentially this sort of debt matrix system. Um, and so just sort of really perceiving that I can operate in or out of system, depending on where I'm placing my attention, um, has been eye-opening for me. 
Can you go into that more? Because I know that money is such a a big topic for people. Um, and and I know whenever I speak about this, people are like, okay, explain more, please. I want to know. <laughs> how do I do it? Um, take us more into what you mean by that and, and how people can kind of action these understandings, these knowings about money and energy. Yeah. So um, money is created. Let's say you want to get a, a mortgage for a house and the house is uh, $1 million, for example. Um, so you give them a promissory note, like I will pay you $1 million back. And that uh, note can be traded for cash. So you've given them a million dollars of cash and they give you the house in return. So that's an even swap. You created that out of, you know, you signed the paper and it's worth a million dollars and you give it to them and they give you the house. And at that point, it's an even trade because you've given them a million dollars of value and they've given you a million dollars of value. Now, where they get into extracting the life force is that they get you to keep paying them on that note. So you give them a million dollars of value upfront. They take that million and they do 10 $1 million loans. So they turn that because of the fractional reserve lending, they loan it out to 10 people. So you've now just created $10 million. And then all those people are paying back the bank, which never had any money until you gave it to them and to begin with. So they've you've created $10 million and then they're expecting you to keep paying them monthly for 30 years on it. It's kind of crazy to think about. So that's the unfairness of the system is that people keep paying on when they're the ones who created the money up front for the whole thing in the first place. But like what, what from a perspective, if, if you say, you know, I am using my credit card, which is nearly maxed out and I shouldn't go and buy such and such, but actually I have an event and I need to, I don't know, like buy a dress and a pair of shoes, but I'm going to max out my credit card. That's it. It's maxed out. No, there's, there's no kind of, any any other way of looking at it other other than that will be maxed out and I will have to pay it back and I won't I would have got myself in trouble. Yeah, and here's where we get into um like if it were just you and me making a deal and you wanted to sell me something or um do a service for me, then you're you're worth the your work right so we would get into an agreement where i would pay you a certain amount of value for what you're delivering to me um in countries like yours and mine where there is a central bank uh there's all kinds of other agreements that already exist around the banking and financial system and in the united states in particular um the government is the one responsible for all the debt because um in uh in the depression the country went bankrupt and in order to get working capital from the central bank and there's a central bank in most countries and the this agreement is similar in most countries but in the united states um to get money to keep the government going 
they had to put up collateral. And the collateral was all the land and all the labor of all the citizens. And so in return, basically we have unlimited credit. So we've we've put up, um, not really with our knowing, but that's the laws that are in place that we've agreed to be the collateral. And the government has agreed to be the one responsible for all the debt. So we create the money and the government is in charge of discharging or paying off the debt that's created. How do we get around that in terms of creating more wealth for ourselves? Yeah, and it's it's a matter of awareness of uh, what identity you have. Again, back to what you focus on, what role you're playing, what hat you're wearing. So in the United States, the way they set this up was they have people, um, essentially they give them a a public entity, which has the same name as them. It's a, it's a trust, basically, that has your name. So there's a Derek Loudermilk Trust. Um, it's linked to the birth certificate and the social security number. And um, that's, that's the collateral. And until you claim executorship of that trust estate, um, it's administered by the government um, because you're in a, in a minor status, essentially. So you're essentially a ward of the state until you let them know otherwise. And then um, because you're a living person, you're not... Uh, you're not this trust. Um, you you need to administer it as you would a trust estate. So you need to know when you're the trustee or when you're the beneficiary, when you're the executor of of this um, legal entity. So you need to learn a little bit about trust law and contract law and finance law and things like that. So that's how you get around it. Create more wealth. Like from a um, metaphysical perspective, in terms of wealth creation. Because I know you talk about that as well. Uh, so, so if you want like three D wealth, if you want to like translate your feeling of wealth into cash or houses or something like that, that's a game, right? You got to squeeze your infinite nature as a creator into this little um, ever-changing financial structure that exists here on the planet. So you really have to think of it like a game of Monopoly. What are the rules that we're using today? Um, once you know the rules, then you move your game piece around accordingly. So I often, when I get a piece of mail addressed to this uh, legal trust entity, I think of it as my Monopoly piece. I'm like, okay, they're like, dear, you know, dear Mr. Tin Hat, um, here's our here's our legal communication to you. Okay, great. I'm responding uh, for my game piece. Here's my response, you know. Um, but it's so funny, right? Because we're playing this game of finance monopoly as incarnated beings, which is also kind of a game from our higher self. So our higher self is... So like our human body is the game piece for our higher self and our fictional financial entity is the game piece for our human self. So it's like a layered game of, you know, perception, essentially. Mm. This is all the, the, the legal fiction stuff that you've been talking about. It's so yeah, interesting. Exactly. Um, I wonder, before we wrap up, what your thoughts are on how AI is going now. 
Um, I haven't thought too much about it. I'm not super worried about it. Um, I see, I see a lot more potential for it. For example, um, if we're successful and we remove the financial power from the military industrial banking complex, and we make that abundance or wealth money available just to people to use, probably the most efficient way to administer that is with an AI program. So if someone is like, I need a house and healthcare and transportation for my family, then the AI system could be like, yeah, here's all the resources you need because we are aware of the whole pool of resources and how to administer it. And, um, you know, I just see like people getting their needs met in a much more seamless way facilitated by AI. And, you know, that's like systems and support structures and services that, that people need, I think could be administered quite well from there. Um, I think the, the danger, and we've seen this, uh, or the intel on this from higher dimensional sources, so from channeled sources, is that uh, there's an AI threat from another universe, which has uh, essentially bled into our universe. And it's a anti-organic, it's an anti-life threat. So that has filtered into sort of the transhumanist agenda, the the things that basically alienate people from their own biology or connectedness or even I, I believe some of the pollution that we see on the planet is probably infiltrated by an influence, like an anti-life, anti-human agenda uh, from this sort of external AI source. Um, so I think, but the AI that we're developing here will be more aligned because we're, you know, starting to become aware of who we are as living creator beings and that we just need to sort of be aware of like what type of AI and how it's programmed and where it's coming from. Um, and again, that's what we talked about before. When you train your sense, your ability to perceive, um, that's going to help us navigate the whole thing. See, I believe in that, but I have little faith in governments and powers that be to use it, to use AI for the benefit of the masses as opposed to the 1%. Um, the thing, the thing is that people who want to control the 1%, they've used whatever mechanism is available to them throughout history. Um, but their time is pretty much over. And that's because of the rising awareness of the collective. And the way that I see it is that type of control uh, power st structures will just um, dissolve because it will, or it'll, it'll maybe continue to exist, but in a way that we, it won't be here on our planet anymore as you know, if we're, if we raise ourselves collectively where we're, focusing on 
being of service and love and joy and those things, it it'll just sort of shatter that structure like a when you sing into a wine glass, you know, it it the pitch, the frequency will be inharmonious with the structures that exist of control. And I think the experience will be that it'll just sort of drift away and we'll wonder like, why do we do things so backwards anyway? When when now it's it makes so much more sense to to do things with with love for each other. So I don't know. I think for sure, maybe for the next five, 10, 20 years even, we'll see the the shattering take place. But um I think I mean even by 2030 the world's gonna be totally different. Yeah, for sure. I I love what you've just said because it, you know, with everything that's been going on with Israel, um it's been a very hard time for me with all my family being there. And um after the first five days of being completely broken after that, I came back. I've spoken about this on, on my episode that I did with um, Aaron Abke, but, you know, I came back to my center and had this deep knowing that only love can overcome this. And so the more of us who wake up to that and the more of us who are in that place, it, do, it does some, it definitely does something, which is why, you know, this, this collective awakening that is happening. And yes, you, again, it's perception, right? You can be on social media and you can be looking at all the violent things that are happening, or you can be on social media or around, you know, people, you know, uh, you know, acknowledging all the people who are kind of waking up to truth, capital T truth. So it's all perception as well. And when we kind of put our perception in, in that state, we can go, yeah, but I also see that so many people are waking up to this and so many people are sharing love and that's what I'm seeing. So if I'm seeing that, then I can create more of that. Yeah. It reminds me of, there was, um, I believe it was during the Cuban missile crisis where Russia had put nukes in Cuba and it was like, are we going to launch nukes at each other? And there was actually in one location, the order was given and a general didn't, launch uh he was like i'm not gonna do that uh that's dumb and it was one person deciding like no i think we should just work it out um so for you know any war like each individual has to opt out of it like if if the general you know if putin is like attack and everyone's like no that's dumb then he's got nothing to stand on right um so it comes down each individual just has to feel like, you know, that we don't need, we don't need to do war. You know, it's fine. We'll just play a game of chess instead or whatever. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And it's so hard to do that. But again, perception, again, when you're in that place of believing that it's hard to do that, but we can also believe that we can just play a game of chess, but we can just laugh with our kids and, you know, whatever it might be. And, and yeah, I think the theme of this, this episode is really perception, isn't it? Mm. Okay. So all about you rapid fire round, which I love. Um, We always start with the first one is the same for everyone. So wellness is. 
wellness is amazing because we've had so much sickness in the last six, seven weeks in my house. Someone's been sick for seven weeks and it's like when it clears up and it's like a breath of fresh air, it feels so amazing. So it's, it's nice to have that, uh, experience of coming out of the, coming out of the fog for me right now, like today, basically is the first time I've been well in weeks. So just for you, for you and everyone listening, like that's my experience of life because having come from not had use of my joints for most of my life, I actually spent every day feeling like that. Even if I'm sick, like with an illness, you know, which I have been the last week, as you know, which is why we rescheduled. Um, so even when I'm, I've got a cold and, and I say this just to kind of, you know, inspire people into feeling gratitude or, you know, even if I've got the flu, or even if I'm really, really ill with something, I'm like, oh, but like I have use of my joints, like a walk or even when my joints didn't work, I remember coming back to, okay, but my blood works, my organs mainly work, even my liver didn't <laughs> because of medication I took. Um, and I remember that was like the the initiation of my healing, having that gratitude. And so this week it's been, oh, how lucky am I? I've got a cold, but like I'm in my warm bed and my cozy house and, I, you know, my window in my bedroom looks out to all the trees and it's so beautiful. And I'm just sitting here under my duvet and my kids are safe at school. And this is so cool. You know, I've got my hot water bottle and I can, I'm an entrepreneur, so I can work from bed, which is even cooler. I'm sitting here with a cup of tea. Um, so like, that's my whole experience of, you know, my mum always laughs at me. I always walk upstairs when there's an escalator. I went out with my parents a few weeks ago, a few months, about just over a month ago. And we went, we were in King's Cross station, which is one of the biggest um, stations, like train stations in London. It's like an international train station. And um, there's a lot of stairs and two like big escalators to get up when you come out the train. And my dad was like, Lauren, why? And my dad's nearly 80, you know, and he's like, why are you using the stairs? And I was like, because I can. So I always do, <laughs> you know, and how cool is that? And mm. yeah, I just, anyway, sorry, I've completely overtaken your, your um, all about me with wellness is. But yeah, I just, I like to to focus on that and to remind people that wellness is amazing. So thank you for for sharing that. Yeah. Um, one thing you absolutely know to be true that others don't agree with. I think people are coming around, but the thing that I said about consciousness being fundamental, um, I think just from studying it, I have a perspective of how and why that's true. And it's something I love to when when people really want to know like how how dimensions work and how consciousness, you know, makes us move and walk around, you know, it's, it's, it's really cool. And uh, I even see the scientific community coming around and realizing like, Oh, wow, we tried to isolate this experiment, but it's impossible to isolate something because everything is connected. So what does that mean for everything we've ever done in science? So, um, I think that's something that I sort of realized maybe just a step before others, but there's a, there's this huge wave of people just also getting that now. Yeah, I definitely see that. If you had to explain to people in one short sentence, the most surefire way to become successful, what would it be? It has something to do with... grit something to do with uh never giving up uh all the things that i've been successful 
there was also a just like an inner fire that I tapped. So it, it's you know to be a pro cyclist isn't necessarily a well paying career. I was like I just need to try to be a pro cyclist, and I dedicated you know many years to training and figuring out how to make that happen. And it, and it was just seamless. You know, I was just on to the next thing. Okay. I need to move abroad. I need to move to Colorado. I need to hire a coach, whatever I need to do. I need to do these races in order to get noticed. Um, the sequence unfolded, but it was like, yeah, I can be a pro cyclist and I'll just keep going until I am. And yeah, whether you want to call that inner belief or just allowing your guidance system to guide you and just doing the things you need to do. Um, it's seems pretty straightforward when you do it that way. Yeah, I agree. I've had that experience with pretty much everything that I've stuck with from my healing journey to business, to my writing and things that I know, like things that I see in my future that I'm, I'm like, and I don't mean that even from a clairvoyant, not even clairvoyant, but like a, I've seen the future perspective, just something I feel this is going to happen to me for me. Mm-hmm. And it's just sticking with it. I'm just making it, just sticking with it until it goddamn happens, you know? Yeah, I will say that when my first, uh, you know, I was a speed skater from a young age, was on the Junior Olympic national team for a while, and then I was a runner in high school and college, and then I was a cyclist, and seeing it took seven years of speed skating. It took seven years of running for me to really hit my potential. So now I think of like, oh, you've been in business seven years. You're like probably starting to get really good and just sort of seeing, uh, yeah, I had to run 20,000 miles before I was actually fast. And I that sort of longer term perspective of like what like real high quality world-class effort looks like, uh, I realize you know, okay, I'm in the first year of this. Here's what I'm going to be experiencing. I'm going to get good really fast. And I'm still a beginner. I'm still a baby. And I won't even have the perspective to know exactly what world-class is until I've been in the game for a few years. That's such a good point, isn't it? Yeah. I say that to people a lot on healing journeys because I do believe it can take people a lot quicker than it took me, which was 10 years from from the point that I deciding, okay, I'm going to heal to the point of getting to a place of complete wellness was over. Oh, it was nearly 11 years. Um, I don't believe it needs to take everyone that long, but for me it was, there was no internet. There was no way of connecting with, you know, like how am I going to find all these answers, which we do have now, but it's still not going to happen overnight. And it, it's having that perseverance and also the, the belief, the faith that the journey to that place is part of it, which you only you only see afterwards. But if you can accept it when it's happening, like the difficulties, the challenges, that's actually that's freedom. Yeah, there's a a point of view that um, the scientific research around luck. Uh, corroborates that if you view everything, challenges and opportunities as miracles unfolding exactly how they're supposed to, then you will be way more lucky. Um, And so that's been a really fun 
perspective shift for me is to like when it's really hard, be like, wow, look at this miracle setting things up for me perfectly. I love that. Yeah. Okay, last one. What's the most profound lesson you've learned on your shamanic apprenticeship? Uh, that there's nothing that's not possible. And yeah. when I've seen impossible things or experienced them, uh, when you get your mind blown enough, then you're like, well, nothing is going to surprise me. Nothing is going to blow me away. I mean, sure, something will. Um, but it's like, I'm willing to believe anything at this point if if I'm shown that. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. Derek, where can people find you if they want to work with you, learn more about you, listen to you, watch you? Yeah. Uh, Derek Laudermilk, basically everywhere, Derek Laudermilk.com on YouTube, Derek Laudermilk Show Podcast, Derek Laudermilk on socials. Um, yeah, it's pretty much pretty simple. Well, I will link it all in the show notes as well, but um, yeah, pretty, pretty simple to understand. Thank you so much for um, giving me your time, for being generous in, on your time, and for joining me on 1111. Yeah, thanks, Lauren. Good to be with you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Reconditioned. I am honestly so grateful to each and every person that tunes in. Thank you also for taking responsibility for your own well-being. You should know that just by choosing to listen to podcasts like this that further your well-being, you're moving more deeply into abundance consciousness. Now, don't forget, I have a bunch of free resources over at laurenvacneen.co.uk, as well as every recommendation you could ever need in regards to your well-being on the LV Recommends page, all categorized for your ease. Thank you also to our sponsors. These episodes would not be possible without them, so make sure to check them out and get some pretty awesome discounts on the show notes. And of course, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so that you can get updated each time a new one is released. Thank you. I appreciate it. Appreciate you.